That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. So 1993 was a huge year for me. It was that transition period from eighth grade to being a freshman in high school. Huge. Yeah, huge, man, huge. People were starting to wear big baggy jeans. You know, the Jinkos were coming into style, and uh, skateboarding was the rage. Skateboarding was a big deal. I think skateboarding was just the way for young men to be cutters. Without being cutters, because everybody that skated, you just you didn't really get good at anything. You just jumped. Uh, you learned how to ollie by uh, like like standing in the same place in the parking lot uh, and just trying to flip your board uh, maybe two or three hundred times. Right, and you would break your wrist. You'd you'd hurt your ankle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was always one dude in the skateboarding crew that just had a cast on all the time, a stinky <laughs> cast. You couldn't wash that part of your body. I uh I I tried to skateboard once when I was in third grade and I fell on my ass and I said never again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. I couldn't I couldn't get into it. Because if but. you bust your ass, you gotta you gotta bring a donut to school with you and sit on that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't want to be that kid. Yeah, you know donut I mean? boy. It's uh-uh. already bad enough if you gotta bring like a thermos for soup to drink and you gotta <laughs> make you gotta make sure you bring the thermos home. I'm just a donut boy trying to be a donut man. Yeah. That's the world I'm living in right now. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we've got a guest on uh, today's podcast. Uh, As you know me, I'm Gabe Pacheco, and uh, my trusty co-host, as always, is... Sammy Hamarne. Yeah, man. And we've got uh, uh, Mr. Jim Search, a stand-up comedian in New York, who Mm -hmm. is also the host of his own podcast, Swatches and Boombox. Yes. And uh, this is one of my favorite podcasts. It's all about uh, 90s hip hop mm-hmm. where uh, we review albums from the era and we go track by track. A golden age. And you've been on twice, right? You've uh, done... I did Law the Dark Man mm-hmm. and I did uh, Red Man, Mind Waters. Ah, perfect. Yes. Which is the name of a great comedy show located in Brooklyn, New York. That's right, which uh, coincidentally you co-host? I do co-host the uh, Muddy Waters comedy show the last Thursday of every month in uh, at the Fulton Grand. Yeah. You know so uh, now that we got you in, in studio, Mr. Jim Jams. Hey. <laughs> well, this is not Jim Jam Studio. No, no. This this is uh this is uh, the Eat Pray Judge bunker. <laughs> the Eat Pray Judge. You guys bunker. did a whole episode on Law the Dark Man? <laughs> we sure did. We absolutely <laughs> How did. long was that episode? Uh, it was an hour and some change. Not long enough. I think Law might have even uh like tweeted at us. He did. That. He did. He favorited a tweet. Did he really? We ta- I tagged him in the the tweet and he uh he saw it and was like, "Yeah. Dope. Anybody can be touched." On Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> no man is an island. That's right. So, uh, so we're excited to have you on today uh, oh, to talk you. about just a, a wonderful year and a wonderful movie. Uh, but before we get into Strapped, which mm. is the movie we're covering today, let's just do a little bit of a of a time travel back to this wonderful period of uh, of American history. Sure. To see, uh, to see what was going on in 1993. Oh man, I mean, 93 uh, was a pretty big year for me. Uh, was 12 um i just uh i feel like i just cracked into hip-hop for me. like you know that was pretty big uh i mean i was like i hadn't really gotten there for me like i personally didn't get there like wu-tang brought me there and that dropped in 93 um 
and uh, Ice T came out with Home Invasion as a huge fan. Of, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love Home Invasion horror is my favorite genre of horror. <laughs> home, home Alone I consider a Home Invasion horror movie, which uh, you know a uh, part of my part of my uh, childhood as well. I mean, and TV was uh, TV was dope, man. In Living Color was in full swing back then. Yes. Like, I mean, you know, Married with Children was in full effect. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And, like, I should have not had access to any of this at 12, but I did (laughs) because I was kind of a latchkey kid. Um, I totally get that. Uh, Homie the Clown was huge, man. mm -hmm, I used to sing mm -hmm. a Homie the Clown song on the way home from from school on the subway, on the metro every day in D.C. Dope. Yeah. Homie didn't play that. He didn't play that, man. At all, man. I wanted a Homie the Clown t-shirt. Oh, God, that would have been great, man. That character, uh, I think Paul Mooney wrote that character, I believe. Yes. He, he, he created that character. The classic Paul Mooney also, uh, wrote, I mean, officially or unofficially wrote most of uh, Richard Pryor's iconic bits. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, he was the man behind the scenes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, 93 is pretty dope, man. Um, I'm trying to think of the other uh, – just high watermarks for me. Oh, um, Cypress Hill dropped uh, Black Sunday, which was such a dope album. Um, I know I kind of moving in a swatches and boomboxes uh, trajectory, but that's, like that's okay. I think this is going to be a, there's going to be a lot of hip hop undertones to this 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 oh, this podcast, sure. especially ninety three. Oh. I mean, probably one of the best uh, full album drop years in hip hop. Right. What else came out in ninety three? Midnight Marauders came out in ninety three. Yep. Uh, Black Moons Enter the Stage came out in 93. Wu-Tang, obviously. Snoop Dogg, which was the highest-selling uh, rap album at the time, 800,000 its first week, wow. produced by Dr. Dre at the time, came out in 93. What else did we have? Um, Diggable Planets, come on, man. Mm-hmm. Diggable Planets, sure. There's cool the, like that. Jazz Mataz. I was already on that on that smooth jazz old man aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, uh, Big Daddy Kane. Yeah, was uh, had another album out there. He's kind of like an unsung hero from this. I mean, from this era, people know him, but nobody like listens to him now. No, and so, they should. That's the thing. Yeah, he was he was a, an incredible technician on the microphone. I yeah. saw Cypress Hill that year. That was my first stadium hip hop show in '93. Uh, for I think I said it was Black Sunday. Yeah, uh, they did a show in at, in DC at uh, Lisner Auditorium at GW. It was them, uh, House of Pain, Funk Dubious, and this group called the Hooligans, who. Was, comp- was comprised of uh, two white kids from Beverly Hills background, Scott Kahn, James Kahn's son, oh, and uh, the alchemist who actually ended up being one of the dope. Yeah. yeah, most unique producers in hip-hop. I still listen to the alchemist instrumentals when I'm walking around the city. I do that sometimes too, man. Yeah. I mean, he's a very talented uh, producer. Innovative. Yeah. I would say that for that, sure. That's my jam- that is my <laughs> smooth jazz is just listening to um, – Hip hop instrumentals, Fetty walking around. Yeah, because I don't want to. I, I don't need words, uh, you know, intruding into my headspace. Sure, but sure. I want to keep that. I want to keep that rhythm. I want to keep that beat. You need the essence. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Well, that's why. Like uh, one of my favorite um, writing albums when I'm just sitting down to write is uh, Jay Dilla's Donuts. Mmm. Another so, uh, another very talented producer. Rest in peace. Yeah, man, dude. 1993. David Koresh. Oh, yeah, the <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, Yo, you're right. Don't forget, we were we were having a civil war in the United States where uh, where we have we have the federal government mm-hmm. uh, going after citizens. They did. They did. Yeah, they broke into a compound. 
And, uh, you know, that, that might be a theme running through this today. Is, uh, <laughs> the uh, law, law and order uh, waging a war against its own citizens. Correct. And uh, the ATF, which was the Bureau of Alcohol, uh, Firearms, and Tobacco, mm -hmm. uh, went after Koresh because they were saying that he was stockpiling weapons yep. uh, at his compound. And was marrying 12-year-old children. That's right. Well, they always bring in child abuse as the – and I'm not saying that it isn't true, but that is one of those things where when you want to go after someone, yep. the first thing you bring up is that they might be abusing children. And But you know, we never go against uh, – I don't know. Jeffrey Epstein, who's, <laughs> who's uh, a billionaire who's who got off because he was, you know, taking these flights with Trump and taking these flights with Clinton to his on the Lolita Express. Yeah, so he gets off, uh, or the the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, those are also people who uh, have done some not so scrupulous things. Yeah, you're but, right. You know, we go after David Koresh because because uh, he's he's a small fry. He uh, and he was. Uh, Easy, low-hanging fruit. That's right. Will, That's right. You know who's a better person than David Koresh? Who's, who's that? Dave Thomas, the founder what? of Wendy's, <laughs> <laughs> who was already a multimillionaire you know, through the Wendy's franchises and then uh, went back as a high school dropout, went back to school in 1993 to get his GED because he felt that his success was a bad message for people uh, in the sense that he didn't want kids to drop out of high school or quit school thinking they could make it. <laughs> he's like look not everybody can make these square patties <laughs> yeah that's right not everybody can bust up chili like a good man dave yeah. thomas here i always thought that was just an actor who was playing the founder of wendy's i didn't know that you know because i'd watch the commercials right yeah so, so that's really him so dave thomas is there's a real face behind wendy's right he's in these streets for real yeah <laughs> he really lives that life i want to meet the real wendy though I wonder what um, she looks there like. is there's actually i used to work at wendy's and that what? was one of the questions is that like was you know is there a real wendy's like real wendy and like yeah that was his daughter so during the professional development <laughs> training portion of uh of the job they're like okay you gotta here's how you work the fry mm -hmm. the fries here's how you work the grill and uh also people are going to come at you every day with this one question you better be ready yeah just know that wendy is a real human being Right. How many times a day do you think people would come up to you and ask? Um, I would say probably once a week, maybe okay. twice a week. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we just we have that in our pocket. You know what I'm saying? Dude, I think my favorite movie from this year was Jurassic Park. Mm. Those raptors, though. Those raptors. They, uh, they're vicious. Yeah. Clever girl. <laughs> By Tower of Power. Uh-huh. Great song. <laughs> Coachella was started in 93. What? Uh, Pearl Jam ticket. I uh, was boycotting Ticketmaster uh, and just played like a free show at that location, mm -hmm. spawning a music festival that is basically fake rich white kids uh, pretending to be fringe hippies that still goes on today, mm -hmm. dressing like wood sprites. Yeah, well, this is the one place where it's socially acceptable for uh, like uh, white women to wear Indian uh, feather headdresses. Still, I don't know if it's still socially not okay. acceptable, but yeah. they do it with impunity. It's yeah. a green zone. Reckless impunity. Yes. <laughs> they love it. So, uh, yeah, man, but I think we can we can sort of uh, go back just into what was going on in hip-hop during this year. This oh, my God. such a magical year for the music, and I think that that's just a great entry point into Strapped. Oh, man. Great you know? film. Because, uh, well, Onyx dropped... An album in 93, Back the Fuck Up. 
Yes, yes. Know, which uh, everyone, regardless of uh, uh, race, uh, creed, or um, you know economic background, if you went to a middle school dance during this time, you were listening to Slam. Dun, 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 dun. Make was, noise, be boys. You know, and it feel like Slam is one of those songs that it feels like a mo- it's a mosh pit song. Oh, it's absolutely, a song for sure. You know. And uh, these guys brought none of that. Onyx brought none of that uh, smooth smoothness Mm-mm. to them. They were just rowdy boys. Rowdy boys from uh, Southside Queens. And uh, and this film Strapped feels like a uh, extended video for an Onyx song. <laughs> well, I mean, interludes of bald, muscular men angrily dancing with the New York skyline behind them. Oh man, that's Bokeem Woodbine in his finest. I feel like the Slam video had a bigger budget than this one did. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, we're going to talk today about 1993 sl- uh, Strapped, which yes. was directed by Forrest Whitaker. Correct. And uh, I am not sure. So, look, Jim, I got to say right off the bat that okay. um, I have I this flew totally under my radar. Really, I never saw this movie. I didn't even know it existed. Oh my god, this is such a classic piece of film. Yeah, I remember seeing the, the the clips for it on HBO or the promo ads, and it was all it was basically Onyx in the background, Bokeem Woodbine doing that dance montage that he does. And I, yeah. That's when I when I saw him doing that yesterday, I was like, oh shit, this I remember now. Remember this movie? And I was watching a lot of movies uh, in, in the in that era that came out like you know preceded this, like Juice, and I, yeah, this one for some reason just went under under. A, Noticed or underappreciated. Oh, it's totally... I mean, this is a real unsung hero of, like, hood film. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I love this... I love the movie for all the wrong reasons. Like, (laughs) I I do, man. I mean, like, Bokeem Woodbine, right? Like, his his acting in this was just so bad it was good. You know what I mean? Well, we gotta tell... So, Bokeem Woodbine, again, he's a famous actor... But mm-hmm. he's got a very specific demographic. Yes. I don't think he's known. His name is not known to every American. No, it's not. Um, he uh, he's really one of those like people that you've seen. Like I don't know how to describe him, but like his, the movies he's been in, you're just like, oh yeah, that's him. You know what I mean? Like, right. He was in Crooklyn. He was in Crooklyn. Panther. Yeah. Dead Presidents. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorites from this era, uh, Freeway. Mm. Where he plays Chopper, and uh, Chopper is um, is the boyfriend of uh, Reese Witherspoon. Yes, yes. In Freeway, <laughs> and for um, a more contemporary movie that a lot of people might know him from is Spider Man's Homecoming. He played Shocker. Oh, that I didn't know. Yeah, but I mean, he uh, he is our protagonist in this film. Yeah, and... he did a guest spot on The Sopranos as massive genius, a uh, hip hop. Empresario, entrepreneur. Yeah. Oh, and it, sort that... of an analog to um, Puff Daddy. Yeah, <laughs> it's a more gutter puff version of Puff Daddy. Which yeah. I mean, he was quite the uh, financially quite the opposite in this film because he was kind of broke and uh, you know kind of became a prisoner of circumstance. Right? Yeah. Do you want me to give a, a brief synopsis for anybody out there that hasn't heard? Yeah, uh, seen this movie. So if you haven't seen Strapped, Strapped follows the story of a young black man named uh, Daquan Mitchell, who's played by Bokeem Woodbine. He's a young ex-con from the projects trying to go straight as a bicycle messenger. Mm -hmm. But he's drawn back into the life when his pregnant girlfriend, Letitia, is arrested for selling drugs. 
Yes. Daquan hooks up with his childhood buddy Bamboo to make quick cash selling guns to make bail money and to build a nest egg to get his family out of the hood. Yes. Daquan's situation becomes uh, dire uh, because he gets put on the cops' radar and they try to flip him to become an informant. Yes. He snitches once, but it never ends with one snitch. Once you're branded as a traitor, he gets his crosshairs uh, put on him by his neighborhood friends and the arms dealers. Uh, he chooses to confess to an unrelated homicide to get his girlfriend off and to leave uh, and to leave his old friend Bamboo on the streets. Um, hopefully this squashes the beef. Tragically, Daquan is martyred uh, to the system because he confesses to uh, this crime. But his son will be born on the outside. And uh, then we see all of these like words at the end that tell us that the ghetto is continuing to be flooded with guns. Mm-hmm. It's credits roll. Yes. I mean, you pretty much nailed it, dude. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they throw the statistics at the end, you know, like it's, it's like what, like nine out of 13 black men are killed by guns, like on the reg. Um, it, uh, it, it's like this movie for me, man, like I just, this was so much a part of my uh, childhood. Cause like when I watched this, I was like, this is New York city. Because I, I didn't grow up here, right? And so when I saw this, I was like, this is what life is like in New York. And now that, like, when I watched this recently and I, like, uh, have lived here long enough, there's, like, these moments where I'm like, oh, I know that part of the city. I know that part of the city. That looks completely different than it does now, you know? Yeah, so a, ma- a big character in this movie is New York City. Absolutely. Like, pre- Brooklyn, specifically. Free Giuliani. Oh, my God. Yeah. There was some, like... I mean, just graffiti all over the place, like obnoxious levels of graffiti. I definitely recognized uh, a couple of neighborhood shots on uh, like East Williamsburg. It's now technically referred to as East Williamsburg all the way down Graham Avenue to where you get, you know, to the, the, the Broadway G area. Uh, yeah. So it's like Bushwick. I, I mean, I, the, the Graham Avenue, there's a deli there that I recognized that was that's still there to this day. Well, it was at least a couple of years ago. Yeah, right. Don't know if it is now. And then what rest for shot, like New Lots, New Lots Ave. Mm-hmm. Um so, it, is that uh, considered East New York, or that's still? Uh, I want to say that's East New York. Yeah. Um, there. Uh, uh, what was I going to say? There's a real um, who's who of uh, hip hop in this movie. Uh, Busta Rhymes uh-huh. is in this. Um, who else? Uh, Dos Effects. Dos Effects. Cool Mo D. Yeah. Cool Mo D. In there. Plays Moni the, Love. Moni Love is there. Uh, cool Mo D. Very hard to recognize without the. Uh, the shades. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, I thought he looked familiar, and then I was like, "Is that cool, Modi?" And then Gabe, I confirmed it. He did, uh, Sticky Fingers is in there too. Yep. Oh, where was lineup. Sticky in this? By the way, he I, was in the lineup. He was in the lineup. Excellent. Um, after yeah. uh, Bamboo shoots the girl in the um, grocery store. Yes. Uh, Sticky Fingers is in that. Das Effects is in it as well, briefly. Yeah. Yep. Um, which is a great part of that movie. Uh, the great part of the movie is when Das Effects is there, uh, you hear Bamboo go, all right, yo, chickity, check this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yes. A little reference to their style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, women are represented. Women women rappers. Yo-Yo was <laughs> Yo-Yo. in it briefly. Moni Love. Yeah. Played one of the uh, women that lived in, in, in Bokeem's apartment. Daquan. Mm-hmm. I'm try to call him Daquan. Well, I guess we'll figure it out. Uh, there, yeah. yo, yo. where was Queen Latifah? That was she was missing. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted Latifah in here. She was too big. 
Yeah. She's too big for she this. She was already blowing up. Yeah, I was going to say, she wasn't stooping to a strapped level. She was like, hard pass. Even with Forrest Whitaker being like, yo, this is my first movie, come on. I need this. Yeah, need this you. was uh, Forrest Whitaker's uh, directorial debut, and it was also Bokeem Woodbine's debut. Oh, I didn't. So I think he'd done music videos before this, and he'd been an extra in Juice. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't, like, he's... He's carrying this whole thing on his shoulders. Ah, the, his broad shoulders, which yes. we see in the dance montages. And uh, it's 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 so cool to just see all of these old hip hop heads like looking really young. With, yeah, uh, what like with a race race stripe shaves in their heads. Mm-hmm. Buster Rhymes' hair looks amazing in this. Yeah, it was pretty on point, and he looked young as shit. Yeah, man. yeah. Like Compared was... to what he looks like now, it's crazy. Yeah. He's uh, like, he's tripled in size. And it's not even like he's fat. He's just an, an enormous human being. Do you a, think it's growth hormones? No. I think it's steroids. <laughs> you think so? I think so. Yeah. He's got that, like, Sylvester Stallone weird thickness. Yeah. When old a... dudes are still, like, young looking. Not yeah. Yet, but, like, thicker. Yep. I would, uh, I would definitely go that far. Really nice guy. I met him, luckily, a while back. Came to a bar that I worked at. And, uh... I told him I was a fan since Leaders of the New School, and he was shocked. Really? And gave me like a hug. He hugged me, and he's a big, big dude. Jeez. Yeah. And, then, and then we took a shot. Oh, nice. He took a great. double shot of Patron. Okay, Patron. Oh. Or wow. Don Julio, something. He, just, he was like, I just need a big shot, man. <laughs> yeah. he, he can afford it. He sure can. Um, oops, sorry about that, guys. Um, you know, uh, I, I put this in my notes, um, but uh, this – movie has one of the best soundtracks that I've heard and I can't find the sound like there's no place that I've been able to actually so Jim it. this is something I gotta say man as a comedian man yes. look you're making your marketability it's, it's very difficult you said, <laughs> I said what movie do you want to do and you said strapped yeah and I ha- we both had to hunt to find a copy of this on YouTube look and uh, yeah so I'm like how many people out here uh, today or seeing it, and on to be fair though, I did. I went to Drunk Black History at the Creek in the Cave. Oh yeah, last and, night, and uh, I was just dropping that I was going to watch this with you, right? Uh, to all of the performers, and everybody there was black, so they were like, all they were like, yes, slapped. yeah. Everybody knew it, but I'd never, I didn't see it at the time, and I was like, where, where, where can you get this? Do I have to get a bootleg copy somewhere? Mm-hmm. Like how do I? <laughs> <laughs> you can go on Amazon and buy it. It's like nine ninety nine, dude. I gotta wait to order it. I gotta get get the hard copy. Yeah, I was gonna say. I I mean, I have the DVD and I also have the VHS. In the event, you know, there you go. I mean? Something happens. I've got a backup. So, to our viewers, if you're trying to figure out a place to watch this, I think Gabe and I both streamed it because we didn't own copies yeah. uh, on YouTube, uh, which was lovingly posted by a gentleman who goes under the moniker of Frustrated Black Man. <laughs> and for the life of me, I was trying to figure out why he was frustrated. <laughs> but I think it's, it's it, 2.1 million views, though. Yeah. Oh, perfect. So on YouTube, this movie is, is streaming heavy. Yeah, oh. turn, your, turn your volume up as much as you possibly can. <laughs> yeah. And then read the comments. Oh. <laughs> They're all great. Was there, I bet there were some really great comments uh, in there. Yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of don't snitch. Yeah. A lot of kill, <laughs> kill snitches was a, was a message that was uh, on Oof. that comment thread heavy yeah i bet there was a lot of like you know stop snitching don't snitch rats 
die. Yeah. That sort of deal. So jumping into this movie, the first scene we have is uh, Bokeem. He's an ex-con. He's trying to make good. And he has decided to take on the craziest job uh, as a bicycle. He's a bicycle messenger. He is. Which I think is as dangerous as being a drug dealer. (laughs) None of the perks. Yeah. Yeah. None of the fame. I mean, it's um, it's a dangerous ass place. Um, and what's crazy too is, um, not crazy, but like Bokeem goes to like, uh, goes into that office and that woman is just being a real bitch about him and just like, you know, they, they shouldn't have let you up. Uh, you should have gone in through the other entrance. It's just like, fuck you lady. So not a microaggressions right off the bat. Oh my God. Yeah. Like you could smell her racism through the, through the camera lens. I wrote white devil woman on my notes. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, and I forgot why I wrote that until right now. Yeah, so. um, she and she was. She was definitely that. She was a real POS. The three, like, the, the white people in this film are shockingly white, by the way. And I don't, <laughs> I don't mean, like, with their behavior. I just mean literally by the way they look. They're almost <laughs> translucent. Yes, <laughs> Michael so, Bean is very, very white. I thought it was Casper, Casper Van Dien, but <laughs> apparently not. That's and then uh, Ben, who plays the, the drug dealer, just looks like everything you want to dislike about what a white dude looks oh like. Oh, my God. And he was so mean to uh, Daquan. Yeah. Did not like him. Really? Right off the bat. Yeah, off the rip. So there's one thing that I want to talk about here, yeah. g- gentlemen. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's it's the fashion in, in this particular. From, 90, from like 89 to 93, Right. hip-hop fashion was ridiculous, I, I think, to me. Like in what sense? The in colors? what sense that like the colors, like the style, like everyone looked like coral reef fish, to me. <laughs> like pastels, and you know, like it, I think TLC kind of not started it, but they were the ones that sort of at the forefront of that that style. Minus the condoms, everyone was dressed mad colorful. Right. Um, so for me, that was I didn't see that as much growing up in like in the city, going to you know school. I would see like we wore mo- mostly like Gap rugby shirts or Jerbo jeans. That was more the style, depending on where you were. Sure. I guess this was theatrical. What do you think about that style time? Uh, you know, I think it was a time capsule for yeah. sure. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I don't see a resurgence necessarily. <laughs> right. But um, I think it was, uh, it had its place, man. It definitely did. I mean, I can definitely remember uh, the knucklehead t-shirts uh, that, uh, what's, his na- what's his name was selling? I can't remember his name. Dude, I, I loved it. I lo- it looked like uh, it was like visual Skittles. <laughs> you know, I just th- the color palette is phenomenal during this era. But what I thought it w- it didn't seem like a good choice if you wanted to blend in and be a productive criminal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're if you're the su- suspect is wearing a bright orange like shorts and shirt. You know where he is. You know exactly who it was. You know, and he's not hard to find. It's like unless you're selling candy or ice cream, you should probably uh, you're very easily spottable. Yeah, because like when you watch The Wire, um, an example of that is that there's the the one boy in The Wire who's got really long hair, right. and everyone, all of his friends are like, you, "You have to cut! Don't be an idiot! Cut your hair!" Because if we're out here on the corner, they know um, you. They know exactly who you are. But everyone else is dressed in identical white tees and has really short haircuts. So it makes it easier to blend in. Unless you all wear, like, orange. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. So so everybody has to get on code. 
yep. has to be like a beeper message sent out mm-hmm. with a, a number that that tells you what color shirt we should all be wearing today. <laughs> I like that. That's color coordinate. Beepers were a, a status symbol. And they are featured prominently in this yep. film. Yeah, like this, the sign of wealth was uh, when, or you know, uh, when Bokeem's character sees uh, Bamboo, played by Fredro Star. He checks out his shoes, his beeper, and his jeans immediately because he knows he doesn't have, you know, like that's, that was the sign of wealth back sure. then, or like, you know, status. Uh, I mean, I had a beeper in 93, <laughs> 94 for no good reason. I think my I parents think I, got I immediately me lost my beeper. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had several of them. <laughs> that's funny. Not at the same time. Uh, I just think it's such a silly way to keep in contact with somebody, but at that time, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, and it's like such like just a, it was just such a like counterproductive way of like getting in contact with someone. Yeah. Like you call it, then you like you call the number, you see the number, and then you find a payphone to call that number back. Right. But you know, I mean, now we have cell phones, so beepers yeah. are uh, obsolete unless you want to. We should bring them back. That's right. <laughs> so I want to talk about the first. Uh, f- I guess it's the first scene, technically. The, 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 the first shooting between the two like younger kids who were like I'm guessing like 13, 14. Sure. Uh, Chiali uh, gets shot. That was Chiali. Yes. I was going to say I, I wrote down and I deleted it. That guy looks like Chiali. It sure was Chiali. <laughs> oh man, that's reverse foreshadowing. Uh, Pharaoh, I believe, is who we're talking about. Pharaoh is the character's name? He's the one who got shot. Yeah. Oh, and there was a Pharaoh piece later on in the film. Yes, there's a rest in peace Pharaoh mural. That's right. At the end of the film. Um, yeah, you know what? And I didn't even notice that his name was Pharaoh at the beginning. And I, I saw that piece and I thought, yeah, that's some great graffiti. <laughs> um, so that escalated quickly, the shooting. Uh-huh. It was just like a quick tussle and then he shoots him. Yep. And what was the character's mm-hmm. name that sh- does the shooting? Chucky. Chucky. It's a good Chucky name. And this is when I wanted Keenan Ivory Wayans to pop out and be like, message. <laughs> so did that seem like over the top and just like a way to – for Forrest Whitaker to accept, like, to really put it, uh, an onus on the on the way things escalate quickly, or because it just seemed, un, you know, um, I think it was pretty spot on. I mean, like, I think there was definitely a, a an, an era, especially in the early '90s, uh, where violence was so fucking rampant in New York City. Man, like, people were getting shot on the fucking reg, dude. Like, you know, and over some just trivial shit. Like, yeah. I mean, this he gets shot over a girl. Shoes. Yeah. I mean, you step on sneakers, you can get shot. Like, you disrespect my woman. I mean, all that shit. So, you know, it it, it didn't, it, it totally fit the narrative, I think, of where we were um, and where this, where New York City was. I mean, a lot of cities, I think, at that time. Right. A lot of violence. Um, and, but especially in early 90s New York City. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in upstate New York. Okay. Uh, Binghamton. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this was pretty uh, pretty spot on. Yeah, and this fits in with, uh, you know, kids and guns. Like, they're all, kids are already hotheads. And to add guns into this, it, it another movie that, that does this is Juice. Yeah. Oh, know? for sure. I mean. You know, ju- the whole premise of Juice is just how, like, this gun is almost, it's almost like an apple. That uh, a mythical apple that falls, uh, you know, from the sky, and then and whoever has the gun has the juice, and yep. it's it, uh, the ultimate power of taking someone's life, you know, is corrupting. And, and but also, I think what's 
interesting too is just the trivialness of life. Like, <laughs> I mean, Chucky, like, basically was just like, we're like, I mean, let me rewind. Uh, Bam, or Bam, uh, Daquan is like, yo, wasn't that your friend? Yeah. Like, that was your boy. And he's just like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. Like, he disrespected me. I'm killing him. And it's just like, are you fucking crazy? And he's like, yeah, I'm crazy out here. Da 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 da. So, like, Especially right. at that age, I feel like it's it's a lot harder to feel remorse when you're 13 or 14 and basically repercussions are very minimal. Right. And like you just don't feel the same way. So, yeah, I mean, I, to me it just seemed – I think the way it was filmed seemed over the top and just like they were trying to show violence immediately and show young violence at, at that. Um, With these it had very a, a very after-school after special type vibe to it. Well, mm. it, it's because I, I'd say it's like – it was just bad camera work. I'm like, all right. Yeah, that's, that's probably <laughs> it's, really it's, – We're not talking – it's like the story isn't bad. The camera work was like real uh, – like my first – like I just got this video camera. Right. And, I'm gonna, and I learned how to zoom in and zoom out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yo, you need to watch your mouth, yeah. <laughs> and then, and uh, you know, but it was Forrest Whitaker's first film. So, yes. You know, he gets a pass. Thank you. Thank but, you. I'm but, glad. But the He's fir- progressed as an artist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I love him forever for Ghost Dog. So oh, he can, man. He can do no wrong. Great film. Great, yeah. great film. And that's another, like, iconic um, hip-hop film. So, yes. It's littered with hip hop references. He's, he's, this is part. This movie's part of the culture. Ghost Dog's part of the culture. Forrest Whitaker is. Uh, mm-hmm. He he does it for he does it for the culture for the people. He's definitely setting a tone there, which I think now it's you know the more we discuss it, the more the more I get because um, kids at that age in cities were were carrying guns. I, I went to one of the first schools that had a metal metal detectors uh, put in um, at, at Alice Steele Junior High School in D.C. Oh wow! Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely around, yeah. um, prevalent. And DC, yeah. uh, you know, the the bullets. We had to, we, the basketball team had to change its name to the Wizards. Yeah, <laughs> at that time period, we were actually the murder capital. Yeah, per capita, uh, yeah. which is crazy to think about. That's wild for for a city that size. But there was definitely a lot of a lot of shit happening. Yeah, especially in public schools in that city. Yeah, um, and I thought Chucky was going to be the one that I thought he was going to end the movie by killing Daquan. To be honest, yeah, because he he had that vibe of like, uh, you know, because Daquan uh, judges him for yeah. shooting his boy. Correct. And I'm like, up, oh, this is the next generation, and also be the Benny Blanco. And I mean, like Daquan basically was a marked man, right? Like, you know, yeah. once Bamboo got out. Uh, when he was in the tank and you know obviously bamboo told the streets like yo Daquan's a snitch he's a snitch and... dude let's talk about the snitching yeah okay s- snitching such a okay first off uh the reason that Daquan Daquan's baby mama she's in jail right she's, she went to jail for selling crack I think <clears throat> yes I so she got caught and uh, her regular job was she's a fast food worker making $4.35 an hour. She's got a baby on the way. We don't have universal health care. Nope. What, what, what is she going to do? Her, her boyfriend is a bicycle messenger. They've got the life expectancy of test fighter pilots. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's got the, he might as well just be smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. Like, yeah. There's no there, – you can't keep doing that job. No, so he's not an, sustainable. He's an ex-con, bicycle messenger. She's pregnant, working fast food. Of course she's going to be, yeah, he gets to sell some keys, man. Mm-hmm. Some birds. You don't have a lot of outs. Yeah. yeah. She gets caught, and um, 
so then Michael Bean, who's the the sleazy cop, yeah, working guns, says, "Give me something. Mm-hmm. Give me something. I'll let your girl go." Yeah. I mean, snitching doesn't sound so bad. Well, and you I think preserve that your family. It's in my. I have it in my notes too. But like, I think what was uh, just great storytelling is like there was that sort of gray morality, right? Like there isn't a black and white, uh, you know, like you see his motivations as to why he's doing it. Right. Cameron doesn't show up. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And say, and say, don't snitch. Yeah. Remember that? Were you, did you ever watch his interview where, uh, where he, there's like, um, they're like, well, what if there was a serial killer living next to you? And he's like, I would move away. I'd move away. (laughs) Would you tell people it was a serial killer? No, I don't snitch. No, nah, I don't. I don't do that. I, you know, I. You know, I'm just. That's not me, man. That ain't me. Um, but like, you know, just. I think this was just. I think this was a really great story, as to like, you can see his motive. You can just see the motivation. Like, he knows he he knows like according to the street, like what he's doing isn't the right move because like. I mean, there's that scene where he's riding around with Michael Bean, and, uh, you know, he's like, get down, and then he ducks, and then he's like, did anybody see me? And then you see him have that moment where he's like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Like, he actually says it. He's he like, says, what the fuck am I doing here? What the fuck am I doing? Yeah. And then Michael Bean, you see his face of just like, yeah, you're, uh, you're snitching. <laughs> you, are, you are not doing right by the street. I mean, so. that's, that's where you can tell it just got away from him. Like yeah. he was like, uh oh. Yeah, it's a, it, fe- it feels like a slippery slope, yeah. and that and that first moment of uh, snitching is is uh, him trying to give up the bodega store owner, yep. who is far enough removed from him. Like he's not family. No, he's not. Uh, it's like okay, well, so what if I give up this guy who's selling guns in the neighborhood? Mm-hmm. But it, the thing is, is what you see here too is how incompetent police are. Yes. And you see this in any other um, uh, procedural show. Like The Wire is five seasons of them trying to just uh, get this guy on tape. Yeah. Stringer Bell uh, on tape or Marlowe, like, confessing to to selling drugs. And all of the collateral damage mm-hmm. that goes into just trying to get this one piece of evidence. And so every time... Uh, Daquan gives the cops a tangible piece of evidence. They fuck it up. Or like, it's not enough, right? Or it's like, well, uh, you know, it's almost as if like every time he has an answer, they change the question. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're they're milking this poor kid. Exactly. I mean, and they know what they're doing. Yeah, of course. But some some of it, I, I have to, like, I disagree a little bit because Michael Bean's character, who I love from Terminator and Aliens, yep. he's a piece of shit in this movie. Because, but he also has his own um, uh, superiors who will not uh, go along with what he's doing. Right. So he he says, "Okay, I got this kid, and he gave us a he gave us a gun charge." And then the DAs are like, "Well, I'm not going to trade your drug charge for this." Uh, I'm not going to trade a piece of shit C for a solid. I'm not going to trade a piece of shit C felony for a solid A. Yeah. So even when he comes at uh, the street. When the cop comes to the street and and tries to make deals, he doesn't even have the authority to um, to greenlight right. deals. Which, like, 
you know, it's kind of like poor foresight on Michael's part of just like, yo, look, if you're going to get this kid's work for you, you need to at least know what you can deliver, right? Yeah, but how smart are the people that become police officers? Not the smartest. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, <laughs> we're not looking at like Harvard grads here no. who are thinking he's still playing checkers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is play, and he's playing, but not only is he playing, che- he's playing checkers with Daquan's life. Right. You right. know what I mean? Like, I mean, this guy, Daquan is like, you know, out there in the street. I mean, basically risking his life every day. I mean, he's trying to combat gun violence, but he's beginning come violent, gun more gun violence through this. Like, there's going to be another murder. There's going to be more yeah. gun. You know. And I think what's also interesting too is, is like, I mean, Daquan is literally playing both sides of the fence. I mean, he starts selling guns. Like, he is now a part of the problem that he's trying to fix. You yeah. know. So it's like, right. And he wouldn't have to sell the guns <laughs> if his girlfriend wasn't in jail. For drugs, yeah, and he wouldn't have to sell the guns if Michael Bean's police character was able to actually broker a deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that slippery slope very quickly. Yeah, so it's almost as though the criminal enforcement creates the criminals. Yeah, hmm, interesting. Yeah, how fun. I mean, is another it... f- interesting thing that I, I noticed is is the way that, especially in impoverished neighborhoods, the money gets filtered through illegal activity. Like if you sell drugs or guns or whatever you're doing to get, you know, your money. Um, it gets filtered through the community, but it doesn't stay within the community. It's never like reinvested in businesses within that community. It's always just spent out for different different people, different businesses that don't provide any cover for that specific community. Right. It goes back to the justice system. You're paying lawyers, you're paying cops, you're paying all this other stuff. So the money never stays. Like it's just like a constant cycle of shitty, shitty money that doesn't do any good for anybody. There's no building of wealth or anything. It's just filtered back to where it came from, back to the wrong, <laughs> wrong hands. Honestly, yeah. you know, it goes back to Ben, Ben, his... ben, and, ben and people way above Ben. Yeah, and that's um, the thing, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, now that you brought up Ben, let's talk a little bit about guns. Mm. All right. So Ben is played by Craig Wasson, mm-hmm. and Craig Wasson, I know and love as the therapist in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's there right. Uh, another and... another Dream Warriors reference on a Pray <laughs> Judge. Can't, can't get enough. That's the best one. And uh, so Ben is a, uh, a a white man, clearly, and he's got white hair, and he wears like a powder blue shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really brings, really pops his eyes. <laughs> really, yeah, really ties the, ties the essence together. And the first time I see him on screen, I think, okay, this guy's an agent. He seems like government. I thought he was CIA. It, they don't really say much about him. He's just an all-American suburban dad yeah. who drives into the ghetto to meet up with Fredo Star, and he sells Fredo like Mac Mac Elevens. Yeah, Mac Tens. Mac Tens out of uh out of the trunk of his car yeah. in broad daylight. He's like the Lord of War of Canarsie, basically. That's funny. Right, so he's out here. He's selling all these drugs on the street. No, uh, guns, sorry. He's selling all the guns on the street. And Fredo, uh, Bamboo, Fredo right. Star, he uh, has transitioned out of drugs into selling guns because guns feel cleaner. <clears throat> yeah, well, he says, like, you know, um, he got caught with one and, like, was supposed to serve a year but only got probation. And he's like, yeah, back out on the street. Right, so when you've got, like, a three strikes and you're out, 
um, set of uh, laws around crack. It's super risky to throw your life away selling drugs, whereas you can sell uh, automatic weapons. As long as they're not loaded, right? That yeah. was his thing. Like He's like... I had one on me. It wasn't loaded, so harder to trace. There's, you know, the hand to hands are a lot easier to catch drug dealing than they are to scratch off serial numbers selling guns. It's a lot harder to track. Yeah, and you know, I think what's even more, I guess, uh, uh, devious about selling guns, right, is like if you're buying drugs or you're using drugs, right? Like you're maybe trying to party. You could be, you know, trying to have a good time or whatever. But guns explicitly are to kill someone. Like, there is no, like, you know, right. uh, I'm just you're, trying to have some fun. It's like, nah, man, yeah, you're trying you're, to get your murder on, homie. No one's like, man, I got this quinceanera I'm planning. <laughs> you know what I really need? Some, some AR-15s. Some tech nines. <laughs> yeah, Walther PPK. Uh, <laughs> bring that in, right? And uh, this, this uh, movie is feels like it has the seeds to what HBO was going to be doing later with The Wire. Yeah. And oh, yeah. it also reminds me of uh, this George Pelicanos book. George Pelicanos wrote a whole bunch of true crime books that take place in D.C. Right. And uh, in one of them, it's all about these uh, gun dealers. Mm. And at the end of the book, that you see that all of the guns that are flooding the streets of D.C. are being bought in Virginia and North Carolina right. at at just um, rural gun shops. Yep. And we we see that happening here like you know these the Ben is basically he's a licensed gun dealer so he's getting guns shipped to him in, in bulk. Texas. Yeah. And what does he pay for that license? It was 30 bucks every 4 years he said? Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? That's fucking crazy. And the cops catch his cache of guns, but because he hasn't been caught selling those guns to to kids, uh, they can't prosecute him for anything. Right. But like we the, the intent is there. There's no reason for him to have that many guns unless like, he's moving them. Right, exactly. He's sitting on like 500 guns or something crazy like that. That's more than Koresh was sitting on. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> and you'd think that they would be able to catch him in, in some sort of like IRS uh, scandal or something because how is he covering his tracks with his income? Yeah, right. Like how – I mean he's got to be making fucking bank, right, selling guns on the reg. Uh, but but he's keeping it like Junior Soprano style, just low key money. That's like a modest house in the suburbs. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, he's like got like underneath his house, just like three million dollars in cash, like a barracks. Yeah. I mean, when you look at all of these inequities in uh, in this in the inner city and the violence, there's always the money. If following the money, it flows up to some white guy at the top of the pyramid. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even if we look at uh, the opioid crisis right now happening all over rural America. And the, the the tens of thousands of overdoses. There's one family that's raking in billions of dollars from all of this, and it's the Sackler family. So season five of Narcos should just be the Sackler family. Saga. <laughs> I mean, I feel like even if you would take race out of the equation completely, you would understand that it's not you know crime and, and is is a is a poverty issue. You know, obviously not a it's not a racial thing. If you're poor. You're more likely to commit crimes or die at young ages. It doesn't even matter what color you are. So the fact that those families are white, I mean, it's, just, it's about money. Money is the, the great divider, especially now. And I think one thing about this film is it's now we're more aware of everything. But when this movie came out, it was way more cutting edge. And, and, and 
Sure. It was more of a groundbreaking. I mean, these messages were starting – people were starting to really understand what was happening in different communities being policed by racists. And after the Rodney King trial, a lot more came to light. And so I feel like when people see this movie now, it's going to be like, we're like well, we already knew that all, you know, these things are happening. Mm-hmm. But at you know, 92, 93, <laughs> this was innovative. And this was a, a good – like a great story to tell. Yeah. I mean – not only was it a great like not only was it a great story storyline but yeah. it was a issue that you know i i think that Forrest Whitaker was able to shed some light on you know just like not only like was he able to shed light on it but it was more reality based like the bad guys got away like ben mm-hmm. s- still selling guns bamboos back out on the street Yep, and he's back to business, you know. So and uh, yeah, but Bokeem's character played basically copped like a weebay and just started fessing up to think murders he didn't commit. Yeah, just to, but he, I mean, and his logic was right. I will say that the first hour of this movie, I, I wasn't sure. I, I didn't. I couldn't. I don't. It just seemed different to me. It seemed like Forrest Whitaker has like a you know a big theater background and like a, a film student, like a film student's interpretation of what's going on. Like he was pushing slang at you just to use certain slang words. Like, you know, it felt he had like a tenuous grasp on that aspect of society to me, even though he was still making the film. But the last like 40 minutes of this movie really tied everything together. And I think Bokeem Woodbine, I know you kind of bagged on his acting a little bit. I think he did his last two scenes were great. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, he really started showing that he's capable of, of, of pulling off, you know. Uh, nice acting runs. Yo, my man Bokeem, he works every year. Check out his uh, filmography. He was like an oracle at the he, end. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't stop. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to bring up um, the um, some of the music musical score here. Mm. Um, Voodoo um, uh, has a uh, – he's a rapper. Um, his song, uh, On a Mission, is in there, and it's one of, like, my favorite songs. Um, and also uh, demand because uh, I've like looked I've looked up all of these songs right. Mm. I cannot find on a mission or demand anywhere. Feels like they've buried everything from this movie out of popular culture. Like it's hard to find or it's, get any. I mean, like there's a couple songs that I've been able to unearth, like um, the inner city boundaries um, song at the beginning, like. I gotta be righteous. I gotta be mean. Yeah, what is that? Um, it's actually my ringtone uh, on my phone. Um, it's um, uh, I'll have to send you the. Uh, actually, I can probably look it yeah, up. Yeah, but right who's now. the who's the artist? Oh, the artist. Um, I think it's Inner City Boundaries is the name of the. There's definitely a couple of deep cuts in this one. It was uh, produced by Jam Master J. Uh, or the, the the music was was all done by him. Or through him, he was a music producer, I think. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, rest in peace, Jam Master J. Yeah. Um, he also was uh, what, the the man who discovered Onyx. Yeah, was he? Oh, yeah, it was he Southside. Oh, I'm sorry. Freestyle Fellowship is the Freestyle name Fellowship, of the group. who I've heard of. Yeah. Um, Inner City Boundaries is the name of the song. Yeah, he put a lot of Queens Queens people on for sure. Fifty man. Cent. Fifty Cent. Um, yeah. Oh, I wanted to take some. Uh, one just. To get back to guns very quickly, sure. There's, uh, I read an article recently that uh, that credit card companies should be, well, my take is that credit card companies should be held accountable for uh, spree spree killers. 
Oh. And uh, this is different because, like, then these inner city, uh, like, gun deals were all cash in hand. Mm-hmm. So nobody was using credit cards because uh, people in the projects don't have credit scores. So, no. so none of these characters were going to have credit cards. But um, when you look now at uh, all of these spree killers, they bought a lot of their hardware using credit cards. Interesting. That they'll never pay back because they died after the shootings. Right. But, you know, if somebody – if I use my credit card in another country, immediately I get a call from the company. Right. And they're like, what's up? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Or any sort of purchase that seems outside of my pattern of purchases. Right. You would think that if somebody walked into a store in North Carolina and bought 15 like Glocks and a bump stock. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to like yeah. red flag that. Yeah. Let's get Experion and uh, American Express and Chase to you know do something about that. Right. Um. And then another issue with guns right now is that in Mexico, through the war on drugs, there have been like 100,000 deaths in the last decade. Right. A huge number of people. And all of those – none of those guns are being made in Mexico. Mm -mm. They're all guns that are bought on the U.S. side of the border at gun shows and then – And then brought over. Sent down. So, you know, even if we were going to have a war on drugs, uh, if (laughs) – if nobody had, you know, weapons, then we'd have to do it with fists. <laughs> There'd have to, you know, like the the turf wars would still be with machetes or whatever. It'd be like, which has uh, a lower body count, like West Side Story. Yes, <laughs> right. There'd be dance offs. There'd be dance offs for the plazas. <laughs> I love it. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, man. The nineties. I think it's kind of crazy to see the budget. Spike HBO scene, or you know, t- felt like uh, television companies have now to make make their make make their their product. Like if you think about the budget for this film, and then fast you know fast forward ten years later, it's crazy. The yeah. TV has taken on all the creative. Uh, I'm slipping for a word here, but it's 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 incredible. After shows like The Sopranos, which came out in the later '90s, uh, and the ability to be like as creative as humanly possible, the budgets have risen so much. I mean, look at Game of Thrones. Look at these studio and companies that are... And just million dollar budgets and shit. Huge. It's crazy compared yeah. to what this was, which kind of had like a student film vibe to it, you know? Oh, for sure. And this was like a, a, a well-known actor who was in great films. Yeah. Who was directing for the first time. And that, that was HBO's uh, like Dream On style budgets. <laughs> great show. Well, I wonder... Okay, so like I went back and looked at the billboards for 1993... And when you look at the billboards, it's still all Duran Duran, uh, you know, and uh, and there like uh, Mariah Carey's on there, yeah. you know. But you still have Billy Joel, Billy Idol. Like you get all these. So this movie is so deeply hip hop that even though today we know these names, I think in '93, uh, this still would have seemed like a gamble yeah. for a studio to put money behind it. Like you, like even look at Set It Off, which came out I think a year later. Or pretty recently around this time, it was so hard for them to greenlight a movie with four black uh, women as the stars. Yeah, to where I remember that they spent two thirds of their budget licensing the Godfather music, (laughs) which is (laughs) true and sad. I mean, I think they went with more under, uh, uh, less known uh, acts in this, as far as that's concerned. Because I don't, I mean, I don't think that the budgetary. I mean, there's a lot of hip hop that came out in those couple years they could have gotten that was a little more popular. Right. But you know. 
I think that they went, you know, I think it was all budget conscious. Right. Well, remember the movie? What was the movie with uh, Dr. Dre and Ed Lover that came out? Who's the man? Yeah. That movie had a, a much bigger music budget. And, and it was everyone who's anyone in hip-hop was, was in that. I was going to say, there were so many fucking people. I mean, it was basically two hours of cameos. And if yeah. you knew or were a hip-hop fan. Um, but that, when did that come out? I want to say like right around the same time, if not a year prior. Uh, who's the man? Yeah, uh, like right around that time, I would say. Um, so this was, was this Ed Lover and Dr. Dre? You mean the Dr. Dre from The Chronic or a different Dr. Dre? A different, different Dr. Dre. You Yo mean Yo MTV Raps Dr. Dre? That's correct. There are way too many Dr. Dre's. One of them should have trademarked that name <laughs> and stopped the other guy from using it. I'm pretty sure that the uh, West Coast Dr. Dre has pretty much patented that name at this yeah, point. He, uh... You don't think about the other one unless you watch Yo MTV Raps and you're in your, in your jammy jams. He, uh, he shined. He shined brighter. Yeah, he, he certainly did. You could say that. Well, uh, you guys have any final thoughts, takeaways for this movie? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, uh, I do, actually. Um, you know, again, this is probably one of my favorite films. Um, I just... It, spoke to me as a kid and I just thought it was just an amazing movie. Um, you know, I think, uh, what would made this movie better is if I could find the fucking soundtrack to be able to buy it, that would really, uh, make this better. Um, but I think my final, one of my final thoughts is like this movie, my favorite, like, I get, let me rewind the tape. Sorry. I'm a little scatterbrained, but my absolute favorite, favorite scene before I tell you my thought is the last scene where Bamboo is coming to um, to Quan's house. You forgot to bring up that scene. It is my favorite scene too. It's so it's so well done. The apartment shootout. Yeah. The apartment shootout. The just the tension, and you hear Onyx back the fuck up, and you you see the camera start at the bottom and it works its way up, and you see him walking up, and you're just like, yo, this guy's about to go fucking murder Taquan. Yeah. And then, you know, and I didn't even catch this until watching it recently, but like when Bamboo, uh, or I'm sorry, when Daquan gets a phone call and he goes to pick it up and there's nobody on the other end. Clicks. And I realized that's Bamboo on the other end calling him Making to make sure. sure that he's home. Yep. Yeah. So that he can go fucking kill him. Um, I was like, oh, wow. That's, that's why you need caller ID. My, my 90s brain, when he picked the phone back up directly after he got hung up on, I thought he was going to star 69. That would have been great. Um, but, like, and then, like, he comes in. Well, like, you know, uh, Daquan's about to leave. And then the, uh, the door, someone's at the door. And you know, it's like, oh, it's Bamboo. And he's like, whoa, well, fuck, I'm fucked. It was just, it was such a great scene. Um, anyway, final thought. Great movie. I loved it. Um, it's just such an underground cut. You know, it really, there's just who's who of hip hop. And, you know, I can't say more better things about it. I love it. So, uh, Yeah, well, uh, to, to piggyback on your favorite scene, uh, the shootout in the project uh, inside the apartment is great, uh, followed by the f- crawling out of the project window, dropping three stories, and then doing project part... Uh, Parkour. Yes, there was a lot of parkour. And uh, that scene reminded me a lot of Clockers. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I think this is, you know, I'd say this is a movie that if you haven't seen it, give uh, try to find a better copy than what's on YouTube. 
but it is you a, can buy it on Amazon. It's, you can definitely it's a, get it on Amazon. A great uh, snapshot of the era, and uh, mm-hmm. if you want to see Bokeem Woodbine's early work, and check out a bunch of underground hip hop stars from the early '90s, this is the movie for you. I give this movie. Um, uh, three blunts, two forties, and a Sega Genesis. Because <laughs> I got the Buddha. And the most important public service announcement, I think, is uh, don't wear bright, easily identifiable clothing when you're committing felonies. Correct. Uh, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I find I, that the last forty minutes of this this film were actually actually kind of saved it for me. Um, I like that final interrogation scene with uh, Michael Bean's character and and Bokeem Woodbine, where he kind of just basically just drops knowledge and just says, you know, like, like, what are we doing here? The cops, you guys, like, we're 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 low level. It's like we're basically on the ground fighting for scraps when people who are actually profiting off of drugs and guns are untouchable. Yeah, and it's just like a, something that kind of needed to be said. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, pulls it around, comes comes around at the end. Ultimately, good message. You know, if you have any 90s hip-hop nostalgia, it's definitely a good movie to watch. I'm surprised I'd never seen it before. I appreciate the recommendation, man. I'm glad glad you watched it. Great. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Absolutely. Yeah, all right. So, uh, uh, Jim Search, where can we find you? Uh, You can find me uh, on all social media at Jim Search. Uh, You can go to jimsearchcomedy.com, you know, lists – like show dates and stuff like that. Um, if you want to uh, come see me do comedy, like uh, I said at the top, uh, last Thursday of every month at uh, Fulton Grand in Brooklyn, uh, Muddy Waters comedy show. Uh, it's a great time, eight o'clock uh, on the dot. So come out there and check check us out. Yeah, I have an album dropping on March fifth. Risky behavior on eight hundred. Pound Gorilla Records, uh, Gabe Pacheco, and you can find me uh, at gabepacheco.com. Um, also, we love everybody listening to this podcast, and if you have suggestions for movies that you want us to review, please uh, shoot a DM us on Instagram. And uh, also, yeah, leave us a review uh, and rate us. Give us five stars on iTunes. Uh, your uh, written reviews boost our morale and keep us doing this. <laughs> <laughs> we need your validation to keep going for sure yeah I don't want to feel like I'm screaming into the void <laughs> alright and uh, as always Sammy anybody anything you want to plug no nah, man I'm not in your industry but thank you <laughs> <laughs> alright uh, yep so uh, looking forward to um, to doing some further episodes this has been Strapped 1993 uh, coming up we will be reviewing Pretty Woman and after that we will be reviewing Saturday Night Fever so, um, fun for that. Okay, talk to you all soon. Bye. I'm so much flavor, you can taste me. I'm underground like the gutter. You never catch me, stutter. 